0: Thank you so much. It's a lot warmer in this gathering than the earlier one. (laughs) Um, And I saw a few nervous glances happening in the ATM, so I thought I'd just repeat myself, my little disclaimer here now. I shouldn't be going into labor while I'm on stage. (laughs) Hopefully not. Um, We still have a few weeks to go. If, though, there is an emergency, I believe Chris can deliver babies, which is always an interesting fact to know. Having said that, he is a friend of mine, so it could be a little bit awkward. So we'll just hope that nothing happens. (laughs) Anyway, I'm not here to speak about birth or babies. I am here to share a little bit of my story with you and what God has been saying to me over quite a long time, actually, quite a long period. Um, I've titled my message, The Empowerment of Affliction, and it basically speaks into how I got to my hope platform. So at the age of 12, God spoke to me about my future career. So I didn't realize it was him, but I remember the exact moment like it was yesterday. I had been seeing a psychologist for anxiety, and I remember exactly where I was standing, and I had this realization that I would also help people overcome similar struggles through counseling. I didn't know then that the journey towards realizing this calling or living it out wouldn't just involve an education, which was actually a minimal part of it, but that my anxiety would progress into clinical depression and an eating disorder when I became a teen and then also into adulthood. So I definitely had moments um, in some of the darker times where I thought, is this calling really true of me? How can I stand for mental wellness if I need medication and psychotherapy? But the whole time there was the strong inner conviction that this was the case for me. And the deeper my affliction, the stronger my desire became to see other people overcome the same struggles. So about two years ago, God sort of confirmed this whole, whole theme for me through the story of Joseph. Joseph had also been given a dream as a young boy about what his future might look like. And he also didn't know it at the time, but he would have to go through multiple struggles and twists and turns to get there. Struggles that I'm sure he never hoped for or saw coming. And so the first point of what I'm sharing today is titled Empowered Affliction. So as I worked through the story of Joseph, I found that he went through three key afflictions that led him to a position of authority that would ultimately empower him to bring hope to others. Now, before we get into um, these afflictions just a brief context joseph's story spans from um, genesis 37 to 50 so it's rather long and he was the second youngest of jacob's 12 sons now his 12 sons would then be the father or father the tribes of the nation of israel the nation from which jesus would come who would then bring ultimate redemption to the world now i'm saying this It's really important because not only would Joseph's authority bring hope to a nation in a time of drought, but it would also be the nation from which the ultimate Redeemer would come. So this not only displayed God's faithfulness in the present, but it was a reflection or a prelude of his faithfulness for the future. So Joseph was also Jacob's favored son, and being the second youngest of the 12, this didn't go down well with his brothers. On top of that, the dream he was given showed that his brothers would eventually bow down to him. And so when Joseph was young and he naively shared this with his brothers, this caused some further alienation, which takes us to the first key affliction that he um, faced, and that was being favored by his father and hated by his brothers. So being appreciated by your father really shouldn't be a bad thing. But it was clear to the whole family, especially his brothers, that his favor was elevated above those of anyone else. And as I just mentioned, he did do some things, Joseph, that alienated himself from his brothers as well. So being in a position where you are not liked by your own family members is obviously not a comfortable or happy place to be. And I'm not saying that Joseph was innocent in all of it. But the elevation he received from his father definitely didn't position him well to approach his brothers with humility. And this takes us to the second affliction that he faced, and that was being sold into slavery by his brothers. So we see in Genesis 37 that the building resentment Joseph's brothers had towards him literally led them to physically remove him from their lives. They actually plotted to kill him. And so when they saw an opportunity, they stripped him of the fancy robe his his father had given him, threw him into a pit and beat him. And then when they decided to have some mercy on him and not actually kill him, they sold him into slavery to the Ishmaelites who would then take him to Egypt." So Joseph would have not only felt very serious physical pain, but severe mental and emotional pain as a result of such deep rejection. He went from a place of the highest elevation or high elevation to one of the darkest places we could go, which was slavery. To cut a long story short, he ended up being a servant to Potiphar, who was the captain of the Pharaoh's guard. And although, although I'm sure it wasn't easy to be subject to someone this is the first time we see that Joseph's affliction served as a platform for hope and revealing the favor of God. In Genesis 39 verses 2 to 4, we read, it says, "...the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man and was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands." So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. This is important to take note of because despite his freedom being taken away, he was still given opportunity to reveal who God was. He was given authority over the way he stewarded his master's assets. So ironically, through slavery, he was given a position of power. And something I think I alluded to earlier is that even in our day and age today, we don't have to wait for our affliction to come to an end before we can use it as an opportunity to bring hope to others. So despite Joseph's um, faithfulness to part of his family, unfortunately another twist comes along that would cause him more pain. And this brings us to affliction number three, Joseph is wrongly imprisoned. We see in Genesis 39 that Potiphar's wife tried to seduce Joseph, and then when Joseph tried to do the right thing by not giving in, she turned around, accused him of trying to seduce her, and this obviously made Potiphar very angry, who had Joseph imprisoned. Obviously, this took him to a place of suffering, but again we see that God's favor was over Joseph. He was taken to a place of authority within the prison and put in charge of all the prisoners. So this position, uh, position became a second platform of hope. And when he saw that two key prisoners, the pharaoh's key, um, chief cupbearer and baker, were troubled by dreams that they had had, God gave him the ability to interpret them. So this is really key. Because after they told Joseph their dreams and he interpreted them correctly, it led to his next step in finding his next position of authority. So Joseph predicted that the cupbearer would go back to Pharaoh and the um, baker would be executed. So unfortunately for the baker, that is what happened. Um, But when he saw the cupbearer would go back to Pharaoh's house, he said to him, please remember me asked the pharaoh that i would be released because he still felt the pain of his confinement despite being in authority so unfortunately the cupbearer actually forgot and joseph remained in prison for another two years and i'm sure he felt very desperate and defeated yet he remained faithful to god so after these two years pharaoh himself then has two dreams that troubled him and no one else could interpret them so the cupbearer then remembers joseph Pharaoh calls Joseph. Joseph not only interprets the dreams, but even proposes a way forward with dealing with the um, disaster that the dreams were predicting. And as many of you might know, the disaster the dreams predicted was that Egypt was gonna face seven years of plenty followed by seven years of drought. So Joseph said to Pharaoh, use the seven years of plenty to store up whatever excess you have that the nation may survive in the time of drought. This so impressed Pharaoh that he made Joseph his second in command, which brings us to our second main point, which is empowered authority. Through his slavery and imprisonment, Joseph rose up to power. He became the governor of Egypt, and he oversaw all the preparations that the uh, nation needed to survive. So when it got to that point, they were doing well. Now the twist here is that Joseph's family were also suffering from the drought, but they hadn't been in Egypt, they hadn't heard about the dreams, they didn't know they needed to store up excess, so they were not doing well. And when they heard that there was grain for sale in Egypt, they went there to see what they could get. When they arrived, they had to on to the governor of Egypt, the brother they sold into slavery. They didn't recognize him, but Joseph did. And at first he treated them as strangers and spoke roughly to to them. But then after some back and forth, he grew compassionate towards him. He wept for them, revealed himself to them, and made provision for them. It says in Genesis 45, verses 2 to 3, And he wept aloud, so that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, is my father still alive? but his brothers could not answer them for that him for they were dismayed. I just want us to take note here of the intensity of Joseph's emotions in that moment. The whole of Pharaoh's house heard him weep. And part of using our reflections as a hope platform involves allowing ourselves to be vulnerable, feel how they made us feel, experiencing them and process them, because this is what reveals to other people that we are also real and that there truly is hope. So Joseph's deep emotion and compassion revealed God's purpose in all of his years of suffering. Now I feel that the crux of the whole story happens in this moment where Joseph says to his brothers who are likely feeling very guilty and ashamed, in Genesis 45 verse 4 to 5 it says, he says, come near to me please and they came near and he said, I'm your brother Joseph whom you sold into Egypt and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. In that moment, Joseph saw the good in what was meant for evil and used this as an opportunity to display hope not only to his family, but a nation. He had every right to be angry with them, but because God had been with him throughout his struggles and he had seen his good work, his heart was softened, he was able to forgive, accept his life's purpose, and move forward confidently in the hope of God. So to quickly close off Joseph's story, when his father Jacob dies, his brothers now fear that he will take revenge against them. So again, they bow down before him, bow down before him, ask for forgiveness, and offer themselves to him as their servant. But this is how he responds. In Genesis 50 verse 19 to 21, Joseph says to them, "Do not fear, for I, am I in the place of God. As for you, You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Having experienced the provision and comfort of God... Joseph's journey of multiple afflictions led to a story of hope and redemption, and he was able to comfort the very people he hated, or who hated him. Not only did this bring hope to his family, but everyone who knew his story. So the final points I'm going to land on today is empowered application. We see this theme of suffering throughout the Bible and in our lives today. In his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul writes in the very beginning, from chapter 1, verses 3 to 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we are comforted by God. (laughs) It's quite a tongue twister. The word comfort is mentioned five times in those two verses. And what this um, piece of scripture is nailing is that not only does God want to bring you comfort, but he wants to use you as a vessel to bring hope and comfort to others. This is true of Joseph's story, it's true of mine, and it's true of yours. So like me, your afflictions might look very different to Joseph's. I've never experienced family rejection like that been sold into slavery or physically imprisoned. But there have been times where I've felt internally imprisoned by my suffering. And I'm sure many of you have found yourself in a similar boat, whether it's been internal, external, or a mix of both. But God wants to use your suffering or your affliction as a platform to bring hope to others. Today, I have the wonderful opportunity of being able to counsel people through life's challenges. Have you ever lived through an affliction that God wants you to use to bring hope to others? Are you in an affliction right now that he wants to use to help you bring hope to other people? You may also be surprised by the platform God has given you to use. So when I was 12, I thought that becoming a professional psychologist would be my platform, but God closed that door And that's a story for another day, but let me tell you, it led to huge disappointment and angst around what next. Did I hear you correctly? I had a bit of an identity crisis. Yet, today I'm standing in front of you in a counseling ministry because you just took me on a different route. So if you find yourself, if you're finding that you've been redirected, you haven't missed the train. You are standing on the train. You just need to look around you. Look at the people you work with, the people sitting next to you at church, your family, your friends, whoever you play sports with, the people who follow you on social media. They might just need to hear your story of hope. So before I close, I just want to acknowledge that there might be people in this room who are in the midst of very deep suffering and affliction right now, and you can't see the hope in your story, let alone how your story might be able to bring hope to others. We want to acknowledge as a church that we see you and that it's okay to feel this way. It's okay to be in that space. Your pain is real, and God wants you to feel it, process it, take it to him, and find healing yourself. So if this is you, please don't suffer in silence. Please reach out to a leader at this church, send a WhatsApp message to the number that came up earlier, or email hello at cityhope.joburg to reach out for some help. If you're not at that point yet, reach out to a friend you trust who can pray with you and guide you through this time. As Paul says in Second Corinthians 1 verse 7, it is our prayer as a church that our hope for you is out unshaken, for we as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Thank you very much.
1: Kate can get a bigger round of applause than that. I said it in the 8 8 a.m. She just, like, game recognizes game. She went through 13 chapters of the Bible, uh, told the whole story of Joseph, her own story in 15 minutes. Um, Like, me and James would still be in point one. Let's all just be honest (laughs) with ourselves. So, so good. I, ho- I hope you are hearing where we're going with this series. Um, I hope you're starting to realize, hey, God gives us a platform. He helps us discover it, helps us develop it. And that's actually a space which sometimes we think is going to look a certain way, but it looks different. Um, but He really wants it to be the place where we see the value we can add and the hope we can bring. That is His hope He put in us to bring it to that space. Uh, I hope you're starting to ask those questions of, well, what's my platform? Maybe you know what that is. Maybe you don't. It's a good place to be. It's a good question to ask. Um, but I'm gonna intro our next speaker. Uh, he is also a city group leader. He's in a very different space to Kate, um, but would you help me welcome Jason Meisen onto stage?
2: That was a lot louder than the 8 a.m., I can tell you that. Um, (laughs) It's also a lot warmer, at least, uh, which is great. Um, I can't see any of you, so (laughs) these lights are so bright. Um, So you can smile, you can be angry, it doesn't matter. Um, So some of you might have known me from uh, Kids Ministry, I serve in City Kids. your your kids can uh, drive me insane sometimes. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, it's awesome. It's, it's such an awesome place to serve, and I encourage anyone who actually um, wants to serve in the church, serving kids. Uh, they desperately need the help. Um, we've got only a few uh, teachers, and it would really be awesome to have a couple of other uh, peeps there serving with me. Um, I've actually served in, in City Kids my whole life. Um, my parents actually served, uh, well, not City Kids, just kids ministry my whole life. Um, my kids, uh, my parents served in uh, kids ministry for a long time and I kind of just fell into it. Um, you know, they they stopped eventually and I just continued. So I think I've been doing that since uh, the age of like eight. Um, I also met my beautiful wife at Sunday school <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, praise the Lord. Uh, amen. Whoever said that. um by trade, I'm actually a financial advisor, so we're going to get into a little bit of a, a money topic as well later on. Um, but I knew that I was uh, destined for finance when I told, when I tried to, I used a pickup line with my wife. Um, I called her an Ellen Gray girl. Um, I was like 12, oh uh, 14. She was 12, and she didn't know what I was talking about. And she was like, "What do you mean?" And, and for those of you who don't know, Ellen Gray is a big investment house, so it's a South African company, big, uh, big uh, platform. Um, and she said, what do you mean? And I said, well, you're an investment for the future. And um, <laughs> it, turned, it turned out, it, it really worked out well. So I'm actually so chuffed about that. Um, Yeah, a great investment, I must say. Um, Another reason why I think um, I was predestined to be in finance or entrepreneurship and stuff was the love and desire that I have for people um, in terms of helping them steward their money and not just manage their money. So the world says manage your money. Um, The Bible says steward your finances. Steward. My friend Stuart is here today as well. Um, Steward your finances. Um, And it's. uh, can I say hello to my parents online? Hello, mom and dad and my boots. Um, I just, they, they joined in, so I thought I'd just say, how's it? Um, so yeah, I thought I really am destined for finance, and I've got a couple of stories. Uh, firstly, um, when I was about 15, grade 9, uh, or standard 7 for those who, who don't know that, um, <laughs> um, we were at Clearwater Mall, a friend of mine um, and myself, and we went with a few girls, and we thought we are going to go to the arcade. I don't know if you know, Clearwater had that arcade at the top floor and stuff, and um we kind of thought, we're going to impress these chicks, and we're going to play some games and get all the tickets, and uh, we're going to get prizes you know, with those tickets. Um, and we played the, the basketball hoop thing, and we got our tickets and stuff. And uh, we looked to our left, and there's a, a kid about half, the, half our age, seven or eight years old. Um, and he's dominating this game, like really making us look pretty poor. Um, he's got pl- spa plastic bags, um, <laughs> literally full of tickets. So, like, there, we had, like, five or six coming out at a time, you know, and he's got these bags full, and um, to to this day, I think he was an angel sent by God, because he, um, his parents picked him up naturally, and he had to leave, and he left all his tickets behind and said, do you want them? And we were like, yes, give them to us. So, we got the tickets, and uh, I don't know, in those days, there was, like, a top shelf, and you could actually get, like, a toaster or something, you know, with your tickets if you had enough. Um... So we could have got like a really nice toaster um, or one of everything on the bottom shelf. So naturally, being in business now, looking back um, in hindsight, we got one of each. Um, we took everything and that was on the Friday. On the Monday, we arrived at school, laid it out and sold everything. <laughs> so we made a profit uh, on that, which was, uh, which was pretty awesome. Um, <laughs> I thought that was, uh, it was my first like little business venture. Um, that actually uh, fed us for like two weeks at the tuck shop. So we, we had enough money to not ask our parents for money, but we naturally did because uh, business needs to grow. <laughs> so we needed capital. Um, so we did ask our parents for cash. Um, a second story actually in school, it was the same year, funny enough, I was also 15, grade nine. And um, there, we started this, uh, this uh, game in, in our class. We convinced a teacher to play Survivor. So we could vote out kids in our class. <laughs> um, so, you know, outwit, outplay, outlast, you know, all of that stuff. Um, so we asked the kids, okay, look, give us five rand entrance fee, and we'll, we'll put that together as the winner's pot. You know, so we got five bucks from everybody, and I think we made about 150 bucks. Um, and needless to say, the winners didn't get anything. <laughs> so we, we actually used the cash. We bought chips after um, for after school. Um, you know those Foxy knacks? We bought a whole bunch of snacks, and um, we kept that until the tuck shop closed. Then we doubled the price and sold them after school. So, um, yeah, the, the people that uh, I don't actually know, we were voted out, like, first. So we lost interest quite early. Um, fast forward a little bit later, um, I studied economics and econometrics. Don't ask me what that is. I still don't know. Um, but I studied economics, and um, straight after I finished, um, I, I got called to teach um, teach high school maths and accounting, and I uh, physically got called. Um, I was at Wanderers um, Cricket Stadium watching the cricket, and um, I got a phone call from my ex-principal, and he said, look, we hear you finished your degree. Don't you want to come and teach? And I thought, oh, well, now I've got to answer for my sins, <laughs> you know, so definitely going to go teach. Um, no, so I-, I thought, well, I don't really want to be a teacher, so let me think about it. About five minutes later, a uh, primary school in Bryanston actually called me up and said, look, we also would like to interview you. So I was like, someone's trying to tell me something, you know, and um, I fell into teaching that way and I was actually called to teach quite literally Um, and by being obedient, that was probably the best two years of my life, you know, really learning how to hone my people skills um, and how to educate kids um, that I could now put into my business and I could educate clients around their finances and stuff which was incredible. So God uses um, a journey um, quite often, and you might have a little, few detours, but your whole platform is still him, you know? Just bring that hope in any of your spaces. Um, it's also amazing to see how God places people in your life for no apparent reason until he reveals the reasons in his perfect time. Um, because at the end of those two years of teaching, my Sunday school teacher that I mentioned right in the beginning, not my parents, before, before them, actually said, Jason, I've got people to introduce you to. It's a couple of financial advisors. Um, Do you want to have lunch with them? And I became an advisor. The rest is history. So I'm a financial planner by trade now. And I thought, um, you know, it's so important to change mindsets around how we view specific things, um, specifically in business and stuff like that. And I think um, it's important to change our mindset around what the world sees compared to what God has instructed. Um, So I've got three mindsets that I think just to get you guys thinking about it. The first one is networking versus building relationships. <clears throat> um, in my view, networking is what you can gain. You know, so you, you, you meet people and you start, you, you try and see how you can benefit from them. And in my business, my network um, is actually built on relationship, where, where it's something that I can give constantly, you know, look for people, look for relationships where you can continuously give instead of looking for something that you can get. I think that's the first point um, that I wanted to raise. Um, And also during COVID, a lot of my clients um, came to me and, you know, struggling financially. Um, It was a difficult time. I don't uh, speak about it lightly. Um, Over that time, businesses were closed, policies were cancelled you know, financial plans changed. And um, it was a bit, an emotional time, even as for an advisor, you know. stories um, And actually speaking to people through their situations and, and offering hope in those situations as an advisor. Um, and uh, just in that time, I actually lost about 20% of my turnover in the business. So it was a, it's a big chunk if it's a big business, you know, <laughs> 20% is a lot of money. Um, but what I realized was people was lo- were losing their businesses. entire businesses, and I had to just kind of suck it up, you know, and God actually told me, just help them, continue to help them, doesn't matter what you lose in the short term, help them, and by doing that, building those relationships through those conversations, I realized that, um, well, just in hindsight, looking at my business today, it's grown exponentially, you know, just because of the obedience of helping others, Um, so building relationships is, I think, a very, very key thing that you can do in any place you know, in your families, in your businesses, at schools, um, you know, soccer moms, <laughs> that group, wherever you are, I think that's a really important thing. And um, the second point that I wanted to bring into this was obedience to his word brings favor in what he wants to do. I didn't choose this career. Um, as you know, I was a teacher for two years and I fell into it. Um, but I was obedience to God, obedient to God's call on my life. And he led me to this place that I'm in now. Um, If you're unsure of where God wants you, um, be obedient in the small things, and the rest will follow. I started uh, also in in COVID. It reminds me of a story just in obedience. Um, I told you I was going to speak about finance, so it's going to get a little awkward. (laughs) Um, But about February 2020, it was the month before lockdown happened, and uh, I made a decision to tithe consistently. I was tithing before, but sporadically, you know, every now and then when I felt led, I I tithed. Um, But February 2020 was the moment I had with God and I was like, look, you've given me everything. You've given me my whole income. I'm going to just give back what is already yours. Um, So I started tithing. A month later, COVID hit. So talk about a test (laughs) of faith. And um, I had to continuously um uh, or in my heart i just felt like i could continuously give and i did that um, consistently through COVID. and in hindsight like i said my business really uh, was successful in that time you know and it's it's so important to 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 get the heart of giving you know i um, like duncan touched on it i'm not going to go into it too much but it's about the heart it's not about what you give or how you give and you can also give not only money but t- uh, time and your talents you know, to bring hope to other people as well. So I think um, one of the things is finances, and it was probably the best financial advice I ever got, was to tithe monthly, you know. So if you are wanting breakthrough in that area of your life, um, my advice would be start tithing. Um, God sees it. It's, it's a faithful act of obedience, and I honestly think that he will bless that. Um, to bring hope uh, of Jesus into your space, you need to be a little bit different. And we're called to be a little bit different. And that's why in my client meetings, I actually bring up tithing as one of the first things that, w- that we discuss. It can get a little bit awkward, um, but if you're a Christian, it's not so bad. Um, it Kind of, you see the light go off. Um, but uh, if you're not, there's challenges, you know. So even I, I just bring up giving in general, you know, uh, to guys that don't believe. Um, the third point that I wanted to bring in to, to this as a... As, uh, just some encouragement if you're struggling to find your place of hope or your space where you can encourage others, um, is that everybody has a gift. Um, God uses, or God used my skills and talents and gifting he placed in my life and turned them into tools that I could use in my everyday job, you know, even from teaching. And I've got a cool quote that I saw on on Instagram. (laughs) Um, It'll come up now. It's of Pastor EJ Gaines. And it says, we should stop worrying about what others are doing. And we should, st- we should be spending our energy on discovering how God has uniquely predestined and created us, which gifts he's invested in us, and what roles we play in the coming of his kingdom. That's where his, that's where his grace will be, and it always works. I, think, um, I feel like it's so important to identify the gifts that God has given you. Not only seeing those gifts or realizing them, but I urge you to actually actively pray and ask God what those gifts are. You know, you might, you might be struggling and you might not know where that is. But don't look at everybody else. Look at your own situation and speak to him. He's got the answer. And then the last point, uh, or, yeah, the last point I want to bring in is um, another encouraging thing is serve. Serve him always. It's another mindset that we need to change. Um, I've got a verse here. It says, it's Colossians 3 verse 22. Bond servants or slaves... Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleases, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. That my gran actually put on my mirror. Um, every, when I was writing exams, she put that verse on my mirror. Um, because whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that, that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, You are serving the Lord Christ. So God gave you a platform. He's given you a platform already, and he's grabbed a hold of you. Serve the Lord in everything that you do and honor him always. I also have a meme. I don't know if you know what a meme is. Um, It's a a picture with words. Um, It just comes up as words, actually. But in the Bible, it says, um, well done, good and faithful servant. It doesn't say CFO. It doesn't say leader. It doesn't say influencer or entrepreneur. It says, well done, good and faithful servant. Um, another, just another verse on serving is Matthew 25 verse 23. And I mentioned this a little bit earlier. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you up over much. And um, it was funny. I was actually meant to, I was going to go through the story of Joseph. God said, don't put that in your preach Um, because you've listened to it for 15 minutes. Um, But uh, just on Joseph, you know, we heard about the affliction, but he also served kings, you know, and he was obedient to God's word and he served God throughout that time and he eventually got to the point where he was serving kings. And the same thing with Daniel. So obedience leads to favor, which usually leads to blessing in that area of your life. As James said last week in Acts 17, verse 26, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. So everyone has a space. That they should seek God, and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us. for in him we live and have and move and have our being. Um, what I didn't mention earlier is that during the time that I was teaching, I actually was, felt like I was very distant, very distant from God. Um, and he still called me to teach. And I think that we sometimes think that we, oh, that God is distant, where it's us actually staking, taking a step away from him and not him leaving us. Um, and, I, and he's always close. Um, it's a matter of fact, it says so in Acts. So God has placed you in your business, in your job, in your family, or even in your area, with friends even. So step out of faith or step out of fear and doubts and step into your own calling that God has for you. Um, as the band comes up, I think I just want to uh, just close off with some practical things that I think have helped me in my business in my relationships and things, and um, uh, and uh, just to encourage you, you know, sometimes we we are struggling to find our place of uh, or our platform where we can share G- Jesus's hope. Um, so the first thing that, if you are struggling, uh, maybe keep these, maybe take a photo at the end. But the first thing is to help people. Yeah. You know, God told me to help, and He He gave me the opportunity to bring hope to others. So number one is help people. Number two is add value wherever you can. Sometimes you think that you're not adding value to a meeting or a friendship or anything like that. Continually try and add value and remember where your value comes from. You know, you made in the image of God and that's huge. <laughs> um, number three is if you're a business owner, create jobs and give opportunities. Always give opportunity. I think um, if, you, if you're just a business owner that doesn't have um, many people employed by you or, or that you're kind of looking to um, or if people don't matter, that's the wrong mindset. As a Christian, definitely, I think we we call to help people and give opportunities to those that don't actually have them in front of them. Um, number four is solve real world problems and make a difference. I think that you can sell a product, you can offer a service, but you know it needs to be some sort of intention behind it. You know, kingdom mindset again, um, and, it, and it can happen in any area, really, any area. Number, what number am I? Five. Give wh- when you can and what you can joyfully. Not just your money. Um, I'm talking time and talents. Give that over to God and you'll see what he does with that. Number six is offer hope through Jesus' example. We've heard um, a couple of, uh, or a, a quote that says um, share the gospel and when necessary use words. And I think our example of, um, of how to live is in Jesus, and we need to actually act that out as we walk with him. Um, and then number seven, watch the world change, even if it's just your world. I think that's so important. We want to change the world, and we want to go out and, you know, make big impacts. But maybe it's just if you look to your left or your right, maybe it's just an impact with that person. Maybe it's a stepping stone. With a group of people or maybe it's something in your business or in your space that you can bring hope to others and really extend God's kingdom Um, and we've seen that with like the likes of Joseph and Daniel where just immense blessing comes from that you know so um, is that cool okay I think if we can all stand and I'll just pray for us we can get in time of worship Lord, um, I just thank you for, for this time that we have today. Thank you for, for speaking to us, Lord. Father, for, for those here that um, may be struggling um, to find where they can impact or where they can bring hope, your hope, to to their spaces and, and relationships, Father, I ask that you just speak to them. I ask that you reveal your giftings that you've placed in their hearts and in their hands as tools to reach others. Um and I just ask that you'll continue to bless them in being obedient to your call on their life, Father. I ask that for those who might just be struggling to find um, kind of direction, I just ask for direction from you. I ask you to speak to them, and I ask that they will listen for open ears and open hearts to the call of your obe- uh, to the call of obedience. I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.